I, so I gotta, I gotta ask, as we talked about the, the TEDx talk earlier and everything else, what's it like to tell a TED story from that stage? Oh, nerve wracking. Yeah. Super, super nerve wracking. Um, uh, I mean, it's not even the full TED stage, right? It's a, it's a TEDx stage. Okay. It's a, it's a very good TEDx with a, with a longstanding tradition. Uh, and several people who have spoken at that conference have gone on to be uh, on the TED main page. Uh, and it's not even the biggest audience that I've done. Um, you know, there's uh, 500 people in the room, something like that. Um, but it's nerve wracking because, uh, because I put that much work into it. I already spoke about like, you, you know, the, the process you have to go through. So if you've, if you've committed to something where you've, um, you know, put that much work into it, failure is going to hurt right? Failure is, failure is going to hurt a lot if you try. Um, and the harder you try, the more it's going to suck if you, if you mess it up. So that's, that's what makes it nerve-wracking. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, the inbound evangelist himself, Dan Moyle. All right, so welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. My name is Dan Moyle, and I'm so glad you are joining me today. In this episode, uh, I talk with the co-host of The Narrative, Prezi's uh, podcast, uh, co-host along with Naja Gaussi. His name is David Hooker, and David is a storyteller as an evangelist for a company that helps us tell stories more effectively with a powerful visual software. That's Prezi, and it's awesome. Uh, he's also a podcast host. So as a host, an evangelist, a TEDx speaker, and storyteller in general, David shares with the Storytellers Network his storytelling craft, his successes and stumbles, his favorite story. In other words, his story. And I'm so excited to share it with you. Before we get into that conversation, just a reminder to find us online at thestorytellersnetwork.com for plenty of more episodes going back to season one and more here in season two. Also, how to contact me and other resources for you to help you tell your story more effectively. Uh, if you like what we're doing here, please consider leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts or on Facebook or anywhere that you find us. It helps us reach new storytellers. So now, without further ado, let's get to the stories. So there you go. There's the intro. Thanks for joining me today. David Hooker from Prezi. Appreciate you being here, man. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for having me on. It's, it's wonderful to be invited anywhere, let alone to talk about something with people. That's amazing. I, I feel the same way when somebody invites me. So we're kindred spirits there. Um, so I like to uh, start off by asking everybody kind of you know where they're from, where they are right now geographically, just because I really feel like the storytellers can be anywhere. Um, so yeah, so let's let's start there. Where are you in the world geographically? So right now I'm in Oakland, California. Um, uh, I'm there because uh, I'm working from home today. Uh, Prezi has an office actually in San Francisco, and uh, I live over in Oakland. Uh, the question though, where am I from, is one I get a lot, uh, probably because you've already picked up on the fact that I have this <laughs> odd accent. Um, I think I don't know if we can call it mid-Atlantic, but Certainly, I have an accent that the people here pick up on the fact that it's different. 
and when I go home, my little brother gets seriously upset that it's not what it used to be. Uh, I said the word soccer at the dinner table once and he just shook his head. Um, so yeah, that's a question I get a lot. Uh, before I lived here in California, I lived in Budapest uh, in Hungary for three and a half years. Uh, Prezi was founded by three Hungarian guys. Uh, so that was the reason behind living there. I mean, mm. they employed me as why well. I, I lived there, not because they found it. Anyway, you get the idea. Yeah. Before that, I lived in uh, Seoul in South Korea for uh, just pretty much exactly nine years. Mm. So uh, I say words all kinds of weird ways uh, <laughs> and um, none of the right ways for anyone, I don't think. <laughs> Which is part of what endeared me so much to you when I watched your TEDx talk, Beacon Street, uh, when you came out and it was just, you know, I'm, I'm from Michigan, so it's a very Midwestern, very, you know, not bland, but just kind of vanilla speaking, right? Um, it's, I mean, it's bland to you. To me, that's fun. Um, Chicago's in Illinois, right? Uh, Chicago's Illinois, yep. yeah. Yeah, I've been there twice. I love the way people talk. I'm, <laughs> I mean, having just moved to the United States, I'm just now beginning to pick up on, on the different accents. Like, for, for me, we, this is turning into the accent show, by the way. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> for me, um, there was like American. That's an accent, right? But now I'm getting here and I've been here for a year and a half. And there's like, oh, there's a Valley accent. And there's a Southern accent. And there's a Midwest accent. And there's a New York accent. Like, because <laughs> in England, we're very aware, like, we have towns that have an accent. Like, um, you know, like Liverpool, for example, is a place with a very distinct accent that comes around because of its unique geography and history and the fact that, you know, it had all this trade with Ireland and stuff. And it's a really an accent. Uh, there are bits of London that have different accents from other bits of London. So uh, it's something I'm, I really enjoy. I love an accent. They're one of the things. But, so, but yours is not vanilla. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I, I, uh, my wife jokes that I could, I could be taken by a, a, a British man or woman out of my marriage in a heartbeat because I could just sit there and go, oh yeah, just talk whatever. Yeah. Cause I, the, the, the kingdom accent just sounds so, I don't know. It's enthralling to me. So. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I, I do get that on occasion. I have to say as soon as I go home, this accent is useless. Um, <laughs> I, I was. We have a podcast ourselves that we do called The Narrative, and uh, mm. we just did an episode yesterday. And we had um, Scott Dickers, who's one of the co-founding editors of The Onion, come on. Oh wow! And uh, we didn't record it, but uh, afterwards he he said, "Thanks, David. That was that was a nice interviewer. You, you're not you're not bad at interviewing." Although I have to say, the accent helps. <laughs> so I don't know whether to take that as a compliment or what. But yeah, I've also heard. That the the classic one which is um david i don't know if you're smart or if you just have a british accent <laughs> it does tend to make you sound a little more polished i suppose but i think yeah <laughs> but i think you're smart too i've heard you speak so we'll go with that no that was rehearsed that's not smartness that's just rehearsal <laughs> well speaking of that so that ted talk the tedx talk from beacon street um great talk fascinated me about storytelling, visual storytelling, and making our visual mark in the world. But what, but what really got me was the story about you and your wife and how that plays into that whole thing and how your second date. I, uh -huh. I, I'd love for the listeners to go watch that, but I also just kind of want to give them a piece of that. If you'd kind of share that story a little bit on it and about why that means so much to you in storytelling. Oh, so yeah, I think that's all part of the, of the process of, of giving the talk, like where that, how that came to be in the talk mm. 
Um, so the wonderful thing about speaking at TEDx Beacon Street is they have this incredible process that you have to go through. So when you're invited to give a talk, you're not on the bill. Um, you're, you're like invited, which means that you have to turn up at um, a venue. In my case, it was MIT because they have a relationship and there's a professor who works there. But, um, but and I had to get in a room, I think of like 100 people. So this is previous speakers, their speaker coaches, uh, local people who just came in and wanted to have an opinion on things. <laughs> and you have, to, you have to pitch your talk to the room. And you've got like a minute and a half. And a really, um, the guy who runs Beacon Street, who's amazing, his name's John, John Werner. Uh, if you're boring people, he will tell you to shut up and sit down and we'll come back to you. Uh, he's, he's, uh, that gives you a very negative impression of him. I think he's actually great, but he's, yeah. he's direct and honest. So first I had to pitch it uh, and I managed to get through that pitching session. The, the person who pitched before me, who also ended up speaking, uh, uh, is a guy called Tal Zaks. And Tal is, runs a company. He doesn't run a company. He's the chief medical officer for a company. Uh, which uh, is uh, on the verge of creating vaccines for specific cancers. So oh, wow. an incredible uh, science that, that, you know, really could save a lot of lives. So he got up and, and pitched that. And then my talk was about emojis. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that was an interesting contrast. But then <laughs> having got through that, um, I had to sit and think about how do I get, how do I tell how do I get people to, to listen to my message, which is about, you know, the importance of visual literacy. And I've watched a lot of Ted talks and I think not just Ted talks, but any stories that you hear, the best ones are the ones that you, you hear uh, that are just personal little anecdotes that, that, that people have been through. And that was that second date with my wife was the, the, the first, example of, of visual literacy or visuals that someone had created having a really strong impact on me. Um, so yeah, I mean, and the story, just to recap it briefly is we went into a bar and uh, this bar was, um, had, uh, you know, back in the day where you, there, there were DJs in bars rather than <laughs> Spotify playlists. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, he had a thing and you just, you would write your request on a piece of paper and he would play pretty much anything. He wasn't a snob or anything. So, um, but because he had like these Sharpie pens, uh, my wife took one of them and started scrolling on the table. And I thought she's a bit nuts. <laughs> uh, and then when she, uh, it turns out that she was drawing this picture of me, it was this incredibly sweet, um, you know, amazing thing for, for someone to do. I mean, she was also showing off a bit because she can draw, um, but I can't draw. And so I had to, I had to respond in some way. And uh, she, uh, at the time, this, this is really a trip down memory lane. Uh, not only was there a DJ, there, were, there was a thing back then called MSN Messenger, which um, uh, was a, a messaging application that you only had on a computer that you had to sign into it. Like you had a Hotmail account, millennials yeah. now turned off. Um, <laughs> But uh, her, her screen name was uh, LazyCat0117. And, and she like kind of had a few cat-like qualities. She still does. I mean, if she's eaten well and it's warm, she will fall asleep. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I just did the only thing I could think of. And I drew the, you know, the generic cartoonish type picture of a cat that everyone learns to draw. 
Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's the single luckiest moment of my life that instead of thinking that as an insult, she, she, she <laughs> took it as something that was funny. But, and then I think because everyone's been in a bar, everyone's been on a date, I don't think everyone's had someone draw a picture of them, but, mm-hmm. but everyone's been in a, in a situation where, you know, there is like, oh, this is a now or never moment in this relationship, or, oh, wow, I actually really like this girl. Um, everyone, I think, has had that. So I think if you're telling any kind of a story, and especially if you're, if you're telling a business story, if you can relate it to something that people are likely to have experienced, then it's a really good way to get people to listen to the rest of what you're going to say. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I tell that, I tell that story. I actually, I have told that story one or two times, um, but not like a whole bunch. Um, the interesting thing about it is when I first, because if you're talking at, at Beacon Street, you have to do a full script and you have to, you know, get up and talk through your script and read it through to people beforehand. So in the first, very first edit of that I put together, um, my speaker coach came back to me and went, this opening story, it's, it's good, but it's far too long. And, and so I had to cut out like, what I think are the interesting and, and funny details of it. Uh, and I really had to compress that, them down and make it tight. So I think the, the warning there is get people in with a personal story, something they can relate to, but be careful not to overindulge. Uh, and go off on tangents, um, as tempting as that may be. That's real tempting as, as an ego thing, as a storyteller. I want to tell all of my stories, but you have to yeah. be able to keep them in, right? Yeah. Yeah, now, absolutely. Now, so, so David, we're, we're talking to podcasters this season in particular, but obviously you're a storyteller of, to me, a storyteller, it's, it's obvious that you are across many media. Um, you know, you work for a company that helps us tell our own stories. You are on that podcast with Nadja. You uh, tell that story out from a TEDx stage. You are the lead evangelist for Prezi. So I would guess, is the storyteller the main hat that you wear in your life? Do you consider yourself that? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I, I think personally that we're all storytellers. Like uh, when you get home from work and someone at home, your significant other children, whoever it may be, go, how was your day? You are then required to tell a story. And if you take a, I'll just get through the day attitude towards it and you go, hmm, it's okay. Then you suck as a storyteller. <laughs> um, but, but you have in a way told the, you know, the bare minimum. So I think, I think I don't want to, you know, put, put upon myself the, the label storyteller, because I think that sometimes creates an image of it being an exclusive thing. Mm. Yeah, I probably am better at it than, than some people, but it's not because of any inane talent or anything. It's because I just practice it a bit more. Uh, and I think one of the great, great things about storytelling is that everyone can do it. Everyone, everyone could do it. Everyone should do it. Uh, and I, you know, I think it's, it's a wondrous thing to, I, I love to listen to, to other people's stories. Um, uh, I, uh, so whether or not I would consider that to be like my main hat, it's, it's certainly not the thing that keeps me awake at night. My, the things that, that if I, you know, if I'm worrying about my job and stuff, it's about leading my team and, um, you know, helping them achieve the best things and 
the, the customers that we work for, making sure they get out of the experience what they want. Um, I, I don't know who it is who has the quote, but I, I think actually it's this strange Korean monk. He's not strange, it's just a little bit of a niche re reference, but uh, he certainly has this thing which is uh, your job, like when you go do it, it's called going to work, right? It's not called going to play. The storytelling for me is almost too enjoyable to be my job, right? Or, or my work. It's yeah. just, it's just a, a skill that comes in handy a lot. Um, so I kind of kind of think of, about it that way. But um, doesn't mean that I don't love doing it. But I just think everyone should do it. Was there a point when you kind of realized you had that ex extra gift and that you really loved it and wanted to do that professionally? Oh. I think that I, it's difficult to narrow it down to a point. Um, I certainly uh, think it's, there's something involved. Um, uh, I, I think I would tell stories, even if, even if I was a, a data analyst uh, crunching numbers. I think in, in the evening I go tell stories. I love, I love to absorb stories. Mm. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts uh, to the point where uh, – my podcast app has stopped downloading some of the ones I've subscribed to. Uh, I watched a hell of a lot of Netflix and uh, Hulu and HBO and I read uh, and I read comic books. Um, uh, so I think first I'm a story absorber rather than a, than a storyteller. Um, Nick Hornby, who's a, you know, extremely successful writer, uh, British writer, but he's written, I think like a, an American audience might be familiar with something like Fever Pitch, which was turned into a movie or High Fidelity about a boy. Uh, he was the writer of all of those. And I once saw him speak on stage in London uh, on a, like a live recorded podcast. And he said, the question from the audience was that typical question like, Nick, Nick, how can I be a better writer? Like, how can I, can I do that? And he was like, well, first you need to read. <laughs> first thing you need to do before you, go and start writing is you, you need to read and you need to read more than you're doing now. Um, so I think that's where it kind of starts with storytelling. First, listen to other people's stories a lot. Uh, and then like, that's just evolved. I guess as a kid, I was quieter than, than I am now. And then, um, yeah, I think story, storyteller and being a storyteller is, I, I don't know about you, Dan, but I love nothing more than going to like a bar with a group of friends and like good wine or beer or, or whatever it may be, good food and good company and just telling stories. And, mm. and I even like to hear the same story again, but just with a different audience. Like mm. I, ha I have a, a, a close friend who tells this crazy story about uh, getting drunk on a plane um, that I won't go into detail on now, but, but I love when he told me that story, I loved it. And then when we're out with people that he's not met before, I always tell that story, tell that story, tell that story. And I just watch the other people react to his story. Yeah. And also I get like upset with him if he leaves out a detail, which I think is funny, but I'll push him and go, no, no, tell that bit, tell that bit, tell that bit. Um, so I think, yeah, I don't. I couldn't say that there was a single point where I realized, oh my god, I'm a storyteller now. Like it's it's a it's a slow thing that's evolved that I just enjoy. 
kind of that slow burn going on for you. I love it. And, yeah. and, and, and a live editor of your friend's stories. That's a good skill to have, I think. Um, <laughs> the, uh, a, a good editor is the most invaluable thing in the world, whether you're, whether you're making a presentation or writing or sitting in a pub trying to make a bunch of people laugh. <laughs> so what, what took you from the world of visual storytelling? And, and I guess I picture the fact that you work for Prezi, which helps people tell a story with visuals and, and does amazing work. I've, I've used Prezi. Um, I've seen people use it very well. I'm a big fan of, of that software and that whole idea. But what takes you from, from that visual into the podcast world? So why did you and Nadja take on this project of starting a podcast and using audio rather than visual? Oh, I think the answer to that one's quite easy. Like the, we have customers uh, and people who, who use our product whose success is based off of the ability to, to tell a good story. Mm. Um, I think where presentations traditionally, and I used to be as guilty of this as anyone, where presentations have fallen down is, is when you think of it as either some kind of I know, visual slideshow or you in any way begin to think that what you've got up on the screen is more important than than what you've got to say. If that were the case, you should go away and write a book. Like what's the point in having a presentation or write an email or, or make a report or whatever. If you're going to have a presentation, it requires you to be there. So you've got to be the, the center of your, of the thing that you're doing. Uh, if you're not, then you're not giving a good presentation. And, um, we work for a, a company that builds a, a visual presentation tool, but we firmly believe that the visuals are there to complement and assist you, not dictate what you do. Mm. Uh, and I think with slide-based presentations, it's very easy to fall into that trap. So with that in mind, that the, the, the success of what people is doing uh, and when people who are using uh, the tool that, that we work on when they consider themselves to be successful, they're telling a good story. So for us doing a podcast, which is about stories and story is uh, audio as much as they are visual, was just a, a necessary natural movement into, into that realm. Um, so yeah, that was just a, a, a kind of natural thing because we want to help people tell stories and podcasts is such a great podcasts are amazing because you, they, they allow you to multitask. Mm. You can walk the dog and listen to a podcast. <laughs> you can, uh, I even have watched the occasional soccer match and listen to a podcast at the same time. Yeah. Uh, if the commentator is annoying. <laughs> so yeah, that's, I think it's just a natural thing that we've done that. Right on. And, and you mentioned storytelling in business uh, with that, of course. Why do you think storytelling is so important in business today? And it hasn't always been? Oh, it's definitely always been. Um, if you think back, um, uh, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not that old. I can't go back. <laughs> but um, if you think about uh, one of my favorite movies is Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Mm. Uh, and those guys are selling, right? And it's a, it's a stereotypical viewpoint of the salesperson and it's moved a long way from there. But when those guys were successful, they had to go tell stories. What I would say is, is the nature of the story you're telling these days has changed a lot. Um, I hear this stat get thrown around a lot and I'm sure you've, you've heard it too, where, where people say, millennials' brains are now smaller than those of a goldfish. They can concentrate for four and a half seconds and they're done. And it's just not true. 
like right. uh, I mentioned earlier that I love to watch Netflix. Um, do you, Dan, do you as well? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What's your favorite show? Uh, I just today discovered the show from Netflix called Everything Sucks. Oh. And it's, uh, it takes place in the 90s, which is my wheelhouse. Uh-huh. And it's about uh, f- freshmen going into high school in that ninth grade year and just what that's like and everything. And I just, I already, f- I watched the pilot episode, fell in love with it. So that's one of them. Uh-huh. Um, my wife and I watch together, This Is Us on NBC. Uh-huh. So we watch Hulu. Uh, yeah, we, we stream everything. It's incredible. Okay. And have you ever perhaps watched more than one episode of something in an evening? Um, yeah, sometimes maybe. Yeah, yeah. So you, <laughs> you may have indulged in the occasional binge watch. Maybe. <laughs> right. uh, like, you, you know, my, me, you might have, I think the worst for me was Making a Murderer. Do you remember that documentary series? Yeah, I do. I may have watched seven episodes of that in an evening. Um, <laughs> but, you, but they're like an hour long. So you can't tell me that my attention span is that of a goldfish if I can sit down and watch four or five hours of something back to back. Right? That's an incredible attention span. Yeah. But what the difference is now uh, and where this kind of goldfish misdemeanor has come in or misconception, I should say, sorry, <laughs> is that the, the attention, and I talk about this in my total, is that the attention, the battle for your attention is harder and stronger than ever before. Right now, rather than listen to me and you, people can take out their phone and listen to another podcast or open Twitter and watch a video of Beyonce dancing around or they can um, open Facebook and and see a a video of their friend dancing to Beyonce, which is what I did on Tuesday night. Um, So, you know, that, you know, that battle is there and it's the same when you go in to give your, your business presentation, your sales pitch, your, your marketing thing where you're trying to get people to move their mind. There is something else that people could be doing right now. And their access to that something else is way easier. An audience is becoming less and less captive. Mm-hmm. So that means that when you come to tell your stories, your stories have to be better than, than what else is out there. You can't get away with anymore the fact that, okay, the people are in the room and now they can't go anywhere because they can. They can go into their phone like and and get lost in that world so you have a duty to be more interesting um so that's why i think storytelling is more and more known as a tool for for business people uh it's not that it hasn't been historically it's that it's more difficult now uh and so you need to be better at it than than before yeah and, and how do you think all those different media platforms that you mentioned that we talked about so far uh, do affect that storytelling, whether it's, you know, presentations or social media or uh, Netflix or whatever media, how does all of that affect your storytelling? Uh, I think the biggest thing that it does to your storytelling is give you this very keen awareness that the, the most interesting thing you have to talk about needs to go at the start. Mm-hmm. You, you need to bring that front and center because you've got to grab people's attention and keep it. That's, that's the key now is you, d- you don't have time anymore for a slow build. Like people are not going to give you the time for, for a slow build, which is a shame. Like going back to, to TV series, the, my favorite of all time is The Wire, mm. right? And uh, I recommend all of my friends to go watch The Wire and all of them come back after one or two episodes and say, it's a bit slow. When does it get going? And I'm like, season three. <laughs> um, so... So like, you know, the people don't have the, the patience, unfortunately, and perhaps that is something to, to lament about, but it is the way it is. So I think 
there's a real awareness uh, uh, and what that's doing is it means that you have to be interesting quickly um, which is totally doable um, and uh, if you can pull off that trick you will get your audience's attention for a considerable amount of time for that binge watch of four to five hours right <laughs> yeah i mean the example i use a lot is the matrix hmm. so the matrix is a is a really complex movie in the fact that, or, or the concept for it is anyway so like if i were to come into a room and pitch to you down okay i'm going to do a movie where humans have been enslaved by robots uh, uh, and at some point, uh, the robots and the humans had a battle and the sky was uh, scorched and now they're all being kept in, in these large containers and fed this computer program. Like, you're already, what? <laughs> but, the, but that's not how the Matrix begins, right? The Matrix begins with their most compelling, interesting thing, which is, you know, really attractive Hollywood actors kicking the, out of each other dressed in leather, right? That's how it begins. And you just have to repeat that same trick. Uh, do you think that social media plays a part in that as well? Not just the different media platforms, but the, the attention span of social media, what it's done to us? Yeah. Social media, more than anything, you have to be interesting in 141 characters or in a 20 second video clip. Right. It's, and I don't think people, I think people sometimes complain about it because uh, it's like, how can I do it? it? You can, you can be really, really funny in, in, in 140 characters, there are some amazing tweets out there. But the, the answer to how to get better at it is not to complain and say that millennials have, have brains the size of, of peas <laughs> and they all hate the world anyway. The answer is go read BuzzFeed articles about uh, the best tweets of the year and see how other people are doing it. Mm. Like uh, so much of, of what people do, like when people make a great film, they're inspired by other films. Go, go find that inspiration. Don't, don't get upset about it. Go see how other people do it. Find ideas from what they've done and do it yourself. That's, I, I love that idea. And, I, and I've shared that with people when they say, you know, how, how do I get, become a better storyteller? Well, go find great storytellers and emulate them at first. Take inspiration from them second and just get better from that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. Do you have an inspiration as a storyteller, a, a muse as it were, or any kind of thing that you do every time a tradition to become inspired? Oh, I definitely, I think I already touched on, I consume as much as I can. Hmm. I, I do have some favorites that I return to. Um, I think uh, Hemingway is um, an absolute genius at the short sentence. Hmm. Uh, when I, um, whenever we, uh, hire someone who has um you know has to do writing in a short concentrated amount of you know words or characters i always say to them go go read the old man in the sea like notice how the guy creates this amazing uh critically acclaimed wonderful novel with with barely any sentences much longer than six or seven words mm. that that urban myth I, and it, i think upon research it is an urban myth that the um, and it's been said that it wasn't Hemingway who, who came up with this six words, tell a story thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, but that doesn't really matter. Someone did somewhere at some point. Uh, and there are, there are websites dedicated to these six word stories and some of them are really beautiful uh, and powerful and telling. So I'll, I'll go look at that. But um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, that's one of my favorites. I, but I will also go read something that's like super indulgent. Uh, I just, 
not too recently, but just this um, about six months ago, finished reading 1Q84, which is by uh, Murakami, who's a very famous Japanese author. And that's three books and 1400 pages. And he goes off on this incredibly long tangents, like a, a, an author who's got to the point in his career whereby no one, I th think, edits him. So uh, <laughs> he gets to go off on these tangents. But even if that's not something you can use, it's, it's interesting to see the other way of, of doing it, if, if you were. Um, when I work with my design team uh, and, and we speak to clients, clients are always, not always, but very often ask the question, what, what should I send? So what do you need? And I'm like, everything. Send us everything. Give us all that you've got. It's impossible to overstimulate a designer. And everyone's, everyone's worried about, oh, if I give them too much, it's like, if they don't like it, they won't use it. Like, it takes them a second to go, oh, God, no, that's ugly. I'm not using that. And, and they'll move on. So I think you can adopt that same approach with yourself. Um, try everything. Like, I must have, like, I don't know, if I were to go look at my Netflix, I must have, like, 15 shows that I've started and gone, oh, no, and just <laughs> moved on. So, yeah. so consume. Consume, I like that. Um, so a little bit of a tactical question for you here as somebody who does this uh, as for a living and, and, has, and has helped build a, a pretty, I think, big company. How are we as storytellers, podcasters, writers, whomever, supposed to get our stories out today with all of that distraction going on around us? Oh, I think if I had the definitive answer to that question, I wouldn't <laughs> be doing a podcast with you right now, Dan. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be on an island somewhere. Um, right. uh, yeah, that's that's the thing you have to work at uh, in tandem with working at your storytelling. I'd love to tell you that like quality is going to win out every time. Uh, I think it will eventually, but I'm sure there are millions of really, really great undiscovered stories out there. Um, I think you have to have perseverance and persistence. If first you don't succeed, try, try, try again. Um, like you've seen my TED talk, but that's not the first talk I've ever done. I, I've done a, a whole bunch. Uh, you have to prove yourself. So you have to go start small. Uh, you have to improve. Um, storytelling is, is definitely something you should always improve. Uh, I have, a, I have um, a designer who used to work for me uh, and he, uh, he, he and I were like, not just uh, co-workers, but, but friends, uh, and he's from Sicily. And uh, uh, a group of us went to, went to Sicily, and various hilarious things happen when you take a Brazilian, a Korean, an English person, a Finn, uh, and you put them in Sicily with this madcap Sicilian who speaks more with his hands than he does with his mouth. Um, and so, so we came back from the trip with stories. And I would tell other people the stories. And, uh, and then he would say to me, like, that's not what happened. You've changed the story. I'm like, yeah, because it's funnier that way. <laughs> so, you know, I workshop it and, and develop it and, and, and the truth. I mean, the, the core of the story, like, is the same. Like, and the, the most important part of it is true. But I do elaborate on the details and, and, and bring things in. So I think you've got to work at your storytelling and you've got to work at how you get it out there too. Uh, and uh, you've got to have a thick skin and be ready to accept failure and just get up and go again. 
Um, if there is another way though, and you find it, Dan, please email it to me. I will take a note here to email you that. Uh, yeah, I, I like the idea of perseverance and persistence. That's the thing. You just got to keep doing it. You have to keep writing to become a storyteller and you have to keep promoting and connecting in order to get it out to the world. You just got to keep doing it. Yeah. And so. remember, if you, if you were good once, you can be good again. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, there's a very natural temptation to feel, I've worked really hard at this story. It's really good. I'm very proud of it. I may never be this good again, but you will be. You have mm-hmm. to believe that you will be. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, there's so many musicians, I think, out there whose first album is actually way better than their second or third or fourth, and it, but it isn't until that fourth album that they, they get commercial success. Mm-hmm. Uh, good advice for storytellers to keep in mind too, just that, that inspiration. Um, I, so I gotta, I gotta ask, as we talked about the, the TEDx talk earlier and everything else, what's it like to tell a TED story from that stage? Oh, nerve-wracking. Yeah? Super, super nerve-wracking. Um, uh, I mean, it's not even the full TED stage, right? It's a, it's a TEDx stage. Okay, it's a, it's a very good TEDx with a, with a long-standing tradition. Uh, and several people who have spoken at that conference have gone on to be uh, on the TED main page. Uh, and it's not even the biggest audience that I've done. Um, you know, there's uh, 500 people in the room, something like that. Um, but it's nerve-wracking because... Uh, because I put that much work into it, I already spoke about like, you, you know, the, the process you have to go through. So if you've, if you've committed to something where you've, um, you know, put that much work into it, failure is going to hurt, right? Failures, failure is going to hurt a lot if you try. Um, and the harder you try, the more it's going to suck if you, if you mess it up. So that's, that's what makes it nerve wracking. Um, Oh, it's so much fun though. Once, once you're settled, like, um, one thing that I say to, to speakers quite a lot is put a joke in your, in your first few minutes. Um, even if it's not like laugh out loud, funny, just something that will get like a, like a titter, uh, from, from people, uh, cause you wouldn't believe how much that relaxes you. Oh yeah. Like, oh, for me, if I can go up on, if I can go up on stage and make people laugh, then I think, well, at least I gave them that. <laughs> you know, at the very least, they, they had that from me. And if you can do that early, you'll, and for me anyway, it settles me down. I like that. At least I gave them that. That's good. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite way to tell a story? Is it from the stage like that? Or is it through the, oh, the new podcast? No, in a bar. Yeah. In a bar with people. Back to, yeah. Drinks and, and, and uh, the ability for other people to interrupt. And like, it's what an amazing place because if you're doing it with, with friends, they give you the best feedback ever, mm-hmm. even if they don't say anything. But like, you know, like we've all had those tumbleweed moments and then people laugh at you for not being funny. Like that's the most, that's the most amazing place and forum. <laughs> like it doesn't have to be about, it can just be friends. Mm-hmm. But like, I think that's the important thing is people who know you, who you know, who trust you want to listen to you and you develop camaraderie through the exchange of, of information, even if it's information that you all know and you just like to hear it again. Yeah. That to me is the, my favorite place to, to, to go and do that. So there's really nothing wrong with having that nostalgia of just the same stories every time or just to hear them again and again. No, no. Yeah. I mean, my wife is sick of all of them now. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but sometimes there are some that she's, she sometimes is encouraged as me to say. And, but, <laughs> Uh, yeah, you um, have to have a life partner who's, who's willing to, to hear things again and again. But apart from that, um, 
Yeah. Or at least ignore you for a little while and just kind of smile when it's appropriate, right? That's what mine yeah. is. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is my favorite question, David. This is this gets to the end here. I I love this idea. This question. Uh, I'm curious to see what you think. Uh, if you could tell one last story, that was the only story you could tell, and you had to be done telling stories, what would that be? Oh, that is a good question. Um, if I could only tell one story, uh, you know, I think that story I told in my TEDx talk would definitely be one of them um you know i think my relationship is one of the things i'm proudest of so maybe not that story but some story from from our past um uh yeah they all the other stories are deeply embarrassing <laughs> um, uh, i'm trying to trying to think um there's a couple that really embarrass my brother i tell those just to to, to kind of get my own back on him <laughs> Um, but yeah. yeah, I think, I think perhaps that one from, from the TEDx talk is my personal, personal favorite one to tell. And it's a great story. So the listeners need to go watch that TEDx talk and hear, I love how you build it. Uh, just the whole thing was really, really sweet. So yeah, that's cool. Good. Yeah. There's well, a longer version with more details now. Yeah. Like, yeah, the, the TED people made me cut it. Like there's, there's oh. a longer bar version that we should probably get out there. Well, and if not get out there, then I'll have to come to Oakland or San Francisco and hear it uh, at a Absolutely. bar with you. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Excellent, David. Well, I appreciate your time today. So obviously the, the narrative uh, podcast, not Prezi is your website, but where else can people find you? Where, where can people find David Hooker? Uh, so um, I am on Twitter. I'm at Hooker David J. Apparently there was another David Hooker uh, <laughs> that was taken. So I had to reverse the name. So I'm at Hooker David J. Um, so yeah, I'm in tweet at me or, or around me and uh, I'll respond. But yeah, and, and you already mentioned to go to prezi.com or, or listen to the narrative. Excellent. Well, thanks for your time today, David. It was a lot of fun. Appreciate you being a part of this. Thank you, Dan. Gosh, thank you so much, David Hooker, uh, being a great guest and telling stories and, and educating folks and helping everybody. Uh, be sure to visit David online. Uh, the links are in the show notes, his Twitter to Prezi to the narrative, all that stuff that we talked about. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it all over the place. Facebook, share it there, tweet it, uh, put it on LinkedIn, share it on Instagram, wherever you want to send it. I appreciate it. It helps us find new storytellers. Uh, speaking of helpful, uh, when reaching new storytellers, reviews are awesome. So if you don't mind leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, I really appreciate it. And here's one from Pause Workspace, uh, POS Workspace. Dan has a gift for putting his guests at ease and fostering relaxed, natural conversations that lead to refreshing content. Looking forward to listening to his storytelling gold mine. Thank you for that review. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, and maybe I'll read yours if you leave one for us. All right. Appreciate that very much. Thank you as well for listening. And until next time, Here's to telling our stories and having stories to tell. Cheers.